Welcome to EQ Minds Recharge Your Mental Health Podcast. I'm Chelsea Pottinger, the host of this show, and today I'm very excited because we have Dr. Jonathan Fisher joining us, who is a clinical cardiologist, certified mindfulness meditation teacher, corporate wellbeing consultant, and global keynote speaker. As a Harvard-trained physician and practicing cardiologist, Jonathan's personal mission is to help others train the mind and heal the heart. It is such a pleasure to welcome him to our show today, and this podcast wouldn't have been made possible without our sponsor, Chili Technology. Let's get Dr. Jonathan Fisher onto our show. So without further ado, it is such an honor to welcome Dr. Jonathan Fisher to our show today. Welcome, Jonathan. Hi, how are you? Really, really good. Thank you. And I am so thrilled to have you because I've been following you on LinkedIn for years and we've connected there. And I think it's brilliant in terms of, you know, you're a Harvard trained cardiologist who teaches mindfulness to your patients. And I'd love you to explain why and how the two go together. Mm. It's so wonderful to be here, Chelsea. And I want to say that I've been following you too. And you light up my day with your posts and also with the work that you're doing across Australia and across the entire globe right now. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. That's kind of you. So as far as how does a cardiologist uh, incorporate mindfulness to the bedside, it might help if I go back a little bit and talk about how I discovered mindfulness myself. Is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So I knew nothing about meditation until I was in my mid-30s. I was uh, very narrow in my path. I was, uh, I guess you'd call an overachiever as a child. I came from a family of seven children, and all seven are physicians, like my father. Mm -hmm. And so I went straight through medical school, straight through residency, and I didn't realize that I was paying very little attention to my own emotions as I was going through. So studying really hard. In fact, studying the heart, the physical heart for hundreds of hours. And only when I found myself in a very dark place of anxiety and even depression and needing to get help for that, did I realize I was completely ignoring my emotional heart. And so I did a 180 and I literally cried out for help. I asked my sister, what can I do? I'm just miserable and I feel like I've gotten stuck in the last decade. So I, I got some help. I actually went for therapy, which was a big deal for me to go in for that. And eventually, I learned about positive psychology and this thing called meditation. And ever the rule follower, I bought a set of MP3 recordings on meditation. And I noticed some changes that were happening inside of me within about a month of practice. So that was over a decade ago. And about a few thousand hours of practice later and silent retreats, I started to realize my own patients were struggling with the same challenges that I was having as a doctor. People were mm. escaping stress in unhealthy ways. I have patients who are smoking cigarettes instead of looking at some childhood issues that they went through. People who are abusing alcohol and it's affecting their hearts in negative ways rather than looking at the emotional cause of some of the difficulty they're having. I have plenty of patients who are struggling with obesity and diabetes and insulin resistance. Uh, yes, there are genetic factors for sure. And there are many unaddressed, beneath the surface, emotional factors which are driving maladaptive behaviors. 
And so when I recognized that, I looked at the statistics, at the number of patients who are needing to pay for medical care because of stress-related illness. And as you know, it's about 60 to 70% of all visits to the doctor. So I thought, mm-hmm. I thought to myself, what would happen if I, as a cardiologist, rather than spending thousands of dollars charging for medical tests and sometimes harmful treatments, what would happen if we use these techniques, which I know are safe, and I know they work because they worked on me and changed the way that I deal with some of these stresses on my patients and even on my partners. And so I'm someone who likes to take a few risks and it's okay if people think I'm a little bit out there. And so I had a few patients at the end of the visit and I said, is it okay if we talk about some other ways to deal with these stresses that you're under? And they said, sure. So it started as you know a minute here and there at the end of a visit where I would guide my patient through a meditation exercise. And that was a few years ago. And now it's instead of a handful here and there, it's literally hundreds each year out of two to 3,000 patients where I'm not having to ask them. My patients now, when they come and see me, as I'm leaving the visit, they'll say, Dr. Fisher, you know, we haven't meditated yet. And so, <laughs> and so it's almost something that they've come to expect. And before COVID, uh, the meditation would often follow with a, with a hug and a warm smile uh, that would not only help my patients to develop this strong therapeutic relationship, but I realized, Chelsea, that it was also helping me. And I was gaining so much as a provider who had been struggling with burnout wait a Mm -hmm. second, what if I turn on the empathy? What if I actually pause with my patient? And so it's really a win-win all the way around. And if I can take it a step further in terms of how I incorporate this with my patients, would you like to hear? I'd love to hear. Yeah. So so what I think about for my own well-being is how can I incorporate moments of mindfulness throughout the day, not just 10 minutes of sitting or 20 minutes, but what are the times in my day and sure, we know that when you're in traffic, instead of getting frustrated at the red lights behind in front of you, you know, use that as a moment for pause. But as a doctor, I use my stethoscope, right? And I also examine patients. And so I decided that when I'm listening to people's hearts and hearing their heartbeat, in addition to listening for anything abnormal, like a disease or a murmur, as we call it, I also use that as a moment for a deep pause. And I appreciate the stillness and the silence. And I try and tune out everything else in the world and completely connect with the heart of this patient. So it's a meditation in addition to an examination. That is so beautiful. Imagine if all our doctors across the globe did things like this. Mm. I think it's incredible, Jonathan. Mm. I want to say something about Australia. Mm -hmm. So when I first started researching the connection between mindfulness and the heart, and mindfulness and the body, which was a decade ago, I was struck by something. In America at that time, the uptake rate or the the rate of people meditating and doctors referring their patients for meditation therapy was very low. I would say less than 5%. But in Australia, it was something greater than 10 to 15%. And so I said, I'm not sure what's going on down under, but there's something good. (laughs) that's good to hear yeah that's a that's a positive news story yeah this podcast is proudly brought to you by chili technology 
Even though winter is here, we still need a cool body core temperature to have great sleep efficiency and deep REM. An easy way to get our body core temp down is by using an Aula from Chili technology. You just slip it over your mattress, switch it on, set your temperature and you're away. They even come in single so you can set your own temperature since partners often like to sleep at different temperatures. To get a great night's sleep and 15% off, head to eqminds.com forward slash podcast and use the code eqminds15 for the Aula system. So if you're recommending this meditation and mindfulness, which I think is so beautiful, and as you're saying, you get the benefits back as well as a physician, Mm. for the people listening that aren't meditators, could you give us, you know, some tips or benefits of why meditation is so great at protecting our heart? Mm, Absolutely. Well, what I love to do is I love to take complicated subjects and make them very simple. So I'm going to make it really straightforward. When we think about the heart, there are a few basic functions to keep it in balance. The heart has to pump nice and strong. It has to have a proper electrical circuit going through it. And it has to have its own circulation through the tiny arteries called the coronary arteries. And if any one of those goes out of balance, we end up with a blockage or an abnormal rhythm. And so when I think about the the connection between meditation and the heart, there are really three. First, it starts in the mind. So heart disease often is contributed to by habits that we do. Let's say we don't get up the motivation to exercise. We eat unhealthy foods. We're smoking cigarettes. We're developing obesity and diabetes. We're not getting enough sleep. All of these are behavioral causes, and many of them are related to stress. So when we meditate, the science shows that it reduces our fight or flight response. There are many reasons for that. One of them has to do with when we meditate, we activate the vagus nerve, as you know, which can lower the blood pressure, lower the heart rate, relax blood vessels, and reduce inflammation. All of that happens when we activate the vagus nerve. Now, there are many other ways to activate the vagus nerve, but meditation is one of the most powerful. When that happens, there are changes in the brain and the chemistry of the brain, the chemicals. So when we decrease stress and increase feelings of connection with ourselves and with others, we increase oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, etc., and endorphins. And these have a beneficial effect on the heart. They reduce the stress-related changes. In terms of the body, blood pressure is one of the most common causes of blockages in the arteries, heart attack, kidney disease, and stroke, high blood pressure. Many of the causes are from the diet, the foods that we eat. When we meditate, we develop the strength of our mindfulness, which is an awareness of the choices we're making. So so number one, we can make healthier choices of what food we're eating when we have that skill of mindfulness. Before we eat the chocolate chip cookie, we say to (laughs) ourselves, wait a second, I can bring uh, the front of my brain, the prefrontal cortex online, and I can see the impact of eating too many of these cookies on my heart health. So number one, I make a, a change in my behavior. And as I'm meditating, as we were discussing, it lowers the blood pressure. So there are immediate effects of meditation in lowering stress levels. And there are also long-term effects when we become more mindful of our choices in terms of our behavior when it comes to all of the health behaviors like smoking, diet, etc. So it affects the brain, it affects the heart, it affects the blood vessel, and it affects our choices and our behaviors. 
Mm, it's incredible. It should be one of the things that's on everyone's prescription part is meditation, you know, with, with all those health benefits. So it should be. And the the resistance to this, Chelsea, and I'm always interested in if these things are so good for us, why aren't we all doing them? And why aren't our doctors recommending them? And I think for me, that's where the solutions lie. The solutions lie in looking at people's reasons for not doing it. And doctors have a culture where we don't like to change. We like to hold on to old ways of doing something unless there's a compelling piece of research that says it's time for a change. And there was such a change in literature in 2017, which I noticed, I posted, and I'm still not sure that all cardiologists are aware of this, but the American Heart Association in 2017 published an official document talking about the benefits and the research behind meditation and heart disease. And their conclusion was that meditation is useful in the treatment of cardiovascular disease for the reasons that I just went over. And so if you ever meet a doctor who's not quite sure, you can refer them to this official document. And now since then, we have even more research showing the connections. That's incredible. And I think that's really powerful because now the meditation has been around for thousands of years, but now the scientific world and the literature is caught up. Mm. And so there's so much published research in that space, which is excellent. And when it comes to meditation, Jonathan, you know, how do you, how do you coach people? I think there's a lot of fear around, am I doing it right? Mm. My mind's not still. When should I do it? Mm. Do you, you obviously go through, I mean, a guided meditation with them and then do you send them to an app or a resource for them to continue on their journey or Mm -hmm. how does that look like for you? Yeah. So the first thing is I explore what someone's beliefs are about their own mind and how much control they have over their own choices. And usually I find people who are ready to take on the power themselves. And so what I do is I, I first take away all of the myths around meditation. And I explain to them, number one, this is not religious. You don't have to believe anything. And I really make it very scientific, Chelsea. I explain, I explain that I'm a medical doctor. I treat the organs in the body. I do know that the tradition goes back 2,500 years. And I explain that and teach that in my classes. But if I'm talking to someone who's not familiar with it, I try to take away all the mysticism behind it. And I explain that this is purely a way of training the mind to get stronger, just like you would train the muscles in your body. And as a heart doctor, I, I am advocating this to improve the health of your heart. And I've actually seen it. So I have very little convincing to do. When By the time people come and see me, at least as patients with heart disease, I've had a number of patients who suffered with chronic pains in their chest. And this is true because they've had blockages and other issues that we've worked on through dietary means. Some of them have had to have procedures, and yet some of them still have had pains in their chest. I've taught them meditation. I've introduced them to MBSR, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, out of the University of Massachusetts. And after those courses, my patients, many of them have had fewer episodes of chest pain because of the element of stress, etc. So a big part of it is I begin with why. Why do you want to learn to meditate in the first place? And often, as you know, everyone's suffering. It may be a marital issue. It may be a financial issue. And so for me, both as a doctor and also as a meditation teacher, I always explore, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And then I look and I try to translate the science of meditation into that specific person and that specific application. 
So if I'm speaking to a, a corporation, for instance, where does it hurt? It hurts when the teams are disconnected. It helps when the, the leadership isn't able to communicate with employees. And so that's maybe the avenue that I'll go. Whereas if I'm with someone in a medical setting, it literally will be a pain somewhere in the body. And we'll start from how mindfulness has been shown in research to help with pain. So I, I try to have almost, I'll admit to you, Chelsea, almost like a marketing mindset, right? So, <laughs> yeah. so I'm thinking, who am I speaking to and what are their pain points? What is their need? And only then do I start to talk about, well, here are the benefits for you. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, nice. Absolutely. Yeah, it helps them with their intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Finding out what their true why is and what their pain points are before you, yeah, offer the benefits of meditation. And then they would go through an eight-week sort of MBSR program, would they? Or So the very, very motivated patients will go through MBSR. The majority of my patients do not. So uh, typically, I'll refer patients either to my YouTube channel or to an, any one of a number of wonderful apps. So, you know, the top apps in this billion-dollar industry are Headspace, which helped me tremendously. Insight. Same here. So I, I bought a lifetime membership to Headspace. They're going <laughs> to. So did I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and so, in so Headsight, uh, Headspace, Calm is another one. Insight Timer is the one that I started with about a decade ago. And what I love about Insight Timer is that there's a whole selection of teachers. Some of the greatest teachers in the world are on Insight Timer, and I know you're on there too. And so it's another reason to go. Uh, <laughs> and so those would be sort of some of the big three. I happen to also guide meditation on an app called Wellness Coach and mm-hmm. do other coaching there. So I would start with one of the top reputable ones. And then there's another wonderful one if you want to do a slightly different style called Waking Up, and that's with Sam Harris. And he teaches more of a what's called non-duality form of meditation, really stepping away from the subject-object distinction and, and introducing a sense of oneness, if you will, uh, connection mm-hmm. with everything. So I usually recommend an app and I write it down on a piece of paper for my patients and they go home. And at the next visit, whether it's one or two months later, I ask them because I make a note in their medical chart. I say, I have recommended these interventions, these meditation apps. And then I will tell you nine times out of 10, the patients have come back, they've been using the app, and they say that it's already starting to change their life. And can we meditate together again? So usually the apps oh, are sufficient. Wonderful. That is so wonderful, Jonathan. That just makes me so happy. Mm. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And, and leaning on your personal story, and thank you for being so honest and vulnerable at the start, you know, as a clinician and type A, very high functioning and and very successful cardiologist and going through burnout, you know, with, with suffering anxiety and depression. What what else are you doing for your mental health? I know you're you're huge into meditation. Mm. What else do you do to make sure that you are taking care of yourself? So it starts with the physical body. I can't ignore the physical body as a doctor, right, for 20 years. And so um so it depends on how much time we have, Chelsea. And and you know so much about nutrition, it's not even funny. But I'll tell you this big secret that doctors really aren't learning enough about nutrition going through medical school. And so when I say, how do I start thinking about my own health? Well, what goes into the body, right? What goes mm-hmm. into the body? So it starts with nutrition, which is really looking at how many plants and nutrients can I get into my body in a day? 
I, in terms of sleep, I'll confess that I don't always keep my devices outside of the room. I just listened to your podcast on sleep. It was awesome, by the way. And I'm thinking, Chelsea's going to be mad at me if I don't do all these things. <laughs> so I try to follow some basic sleep hygiene there. And then exercise has just always been a wonderful thing. Um, I got pretty serious into triathlons for a number of years. I had some orthopedic issues, so I had to shift more on just to the bicycle and away from the running. And so now I walk outside in nature. I walk my dogs just about every day. So that's purely with the physical body. I, I think about the word nourish. How can I nourish my body and how can I nourish my mind? And the body is nourished with rest, hydration, and nutrition. And the mind is, is also nourished with rest, intentional rest throughout the day. That's something else that is never taught in medical school and to all of our type A colleagues who are in the corporate world. There's often a cultural stigma saying, oh, you must be weak if you need to take a break. Mm -hmm. Don't ever rest. Don't ever rest. In fact, it's better to be a workaholic. You wouldn't even believe how much more work I did today after the office. And rather than being a badge of honor, what I'd like to see is that shift. And the badge of honor is a leader in saying to everyone else, hey, do you know I actually had a little quick nap today? Or I was able to close my eyes and tune out the world for a few minutes. So that's the mental side of things. Isn't it incredible? Because it's a paradox. If you have those intentional rests, you actually are more productive. Yes. And aren't you? Like it's just it's just a no-brainer. And when you do the thing that I love about you, Jonathan, is that well, there's so many things, but one of one of the main things is that A, you make it really simple. This isn't rocket science for our audience. These are like you simplify your life back. You nourish the body, you rest it, you have really good nutrition, you hydrate, you have intentional rest during the day, like meditation. And this is things that are accessible to everyone. It's not saying that, hey, we need a PhD to understand how to take care of ourselves. These are just easy things that people can implement into their life. And then you're the best subject matter, aren't you? Like when you start doing these kinds of things on a consistent basis, the way that you feel is just incomparable to how you used to operate yes, before. Yes, Absolutely. And once we do these practices ourselves, it's almost criminal not to share them with other people. And mm -hmm. you got into it before. I realized early on that the way to share is never to push on to someone else, never to say, mm -hmm. you have to do this or you're bad. It's really more of an, an invitation and say, you can take it or leave it. And you can look at the research or you can ignore. And in fact, when I'm speaking to the top minds in, in my field, and the leaders in my field, and I put up a slide on research, I used to really spend a lot of time on that. And now I say, look, here's the research. If you want to go deep, I'll go deep with you. But I'd rather you just choose to ignore it and try it yourself because you are the best research subject. And if, if you don't like it, you can leave it behind and the world will be okay. Love that. Now, to get more people knowing about Dr. Jonathan Fisher, because you've got so much goodness to share. How do people follow you? Where's the best place for them to come and find out more about Dr. Fisher's work? So I'm on social media. And if you just look up my name on LinkedIn, uh, you'll find Jonathan Fisher, MD, F-A-C-C. And then if you remember the term Happy Heart MD, there's only one of me in the world and I'm Happy Heart MD. And so <laughs> if you go to YouTube, Happy Heart MD, on Instagram, Happy Heart MD, 
and then even Facebook and Twitter, it's the Happy Heart MD. And I have a web I have a website as well because I do a lot of speaking engagements for healthcare organizations and non-healthcare corporations and team building. And that's called mindheartnow.com. Mind Heart Now. We would love to get you to Australia one day, Jonathan, to come and talk to our corporates over here. Mm. Hopefully that can happen in the near future. I can see it. I can see it. I I can visualize that too. Thank you so much for today and giving up so much of your very precious time. I'm so incredibly grateful from my grateful heart to yours, Jonathan Fisher. Thank you very much. What a pleasure. Thank you so much and keep up all of your wonderful work, Chelsea. Thank you. To continue on your calm journey, I really encourage you to download a free ebook on how to live a calmer life. Simply head to eqminds.com to receive your free copy. And if you're in a really good mood, please feel free to give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find the podcast and then together we can help other people with their mental health and well-being. Thank you so much for coming on this journey with us and we'll see you again in a week. This podcast is for information purposes only. Any advice is not a substitute for medical guidance. Any use of information contained in this podcast is used at the user's own risk.